Uh, Acts chapter 21, and I'm beginning a new series today called Zephyr. And, you know, Zephyr is a word that means a burst of wind. And the Bible describes the Holy Spirit as a rushing mighty wind when he came in Acts 2. This is also what Jesus described the Holy Spirit as to Nicodemus in John 3. He said that the wind kind of comes and goes where it wants, and, and that's like the Spirit of God. And I'm telling you, we need the Holy Spirit to move in our nation, in our city, in our schools like never before. And so the Lord dropped a really interesting uh, message in my heart. I want to read Acts 21. I'm going to read verses 7 down to verse 11. I kind of want to paint a picture for us, and then we're going to pray. Acts 21, verse 7. And this is what the scriptures teach, that when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemus, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judah. And when he came to us, he took Paul's belt and he bound his own hands and feet and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning for the Spirit of God alive and well moving. And Lord, I pray for open hearts to receive today. Lord, thank you for a word in season. I thank you for the ability to help teach this message this morning. And Lord, we just thank you that you, nothing escapes your attention, that you were in control of all things. So Lord, this morning with the scriptures, we come into agreement today at the last name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Now, I did have a great time going camping last week with our kids. <laughs> we went out to wonderful Wyoming. That's what it says on the state line when you get there. It was 100 degrees in Billings. It was overcast with smoke. As you know, it looked like a scene from an apocalyptic movie. But, you know, when we finally got up on that mountain, it was in the 70s, and there was a nice cool breeze. And, you know, there's nothing better than a mountain breeze on a hot day. Do you know that? <coughs> I mean, it felt just amazing. Now, I don't know how many times I commented, or the people that I was with commented, how good it felt for that breeze, man. It was just a refreshing uh, breath of air. You know, Proverbs 25, verse 23, speaks of a north wind that brings forth rain. And the idea is that it's refreshing. The wind of the Holy Spirit is refreshing when, when he breathes on your life. And we are living in extraordinarily dry season. I'm not just talking about droughts in the western states. I'm talking about a spiritually dry time in our nation. And <coughs> this series is about the wind of the Spirit and how we need it to blow in our lives. Now, I did get a little bit of congestion coughing, so you're going to have to bear with me a little bit as I cough through our message today, but I'm, I'm praying for the grace of God to sustain me. I felt impressed to highlight four observations about what we would call prophetic ministry. That is the context of what the passage here is in Acts 21. And, you know, this is, this is tricky and fun stuff to teach. You know, it's kind of something I, I, I felt very prompted about. The Bible is a supernatural book, and it actually makes that claim about itself. It says that all Scripture, this is 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God. And that word inspired means it's been breathed upon. That, that God breathed his, his, his book to life. That, that's a wind, a breath of God. In the Hebrew, it, it's described as the ruach of God, his, his wind. Uh, the word zephyr is a Greek word that means wind. It's actually a pagan word, but it's describing you know, this idea of the wind blowing. 
<clears throat> now, I was raised in a uh, very Pentecostal church. And, you know, we grew up and we were all familiar with spiritual gifts being exercised. And in, in today's world, it's like the, that word prophetic has almost become a catch-all phrase for gifts of the Spirit operating. Um, you know, when, when we were, well, I'm old enough to remember when gifts would operate in church services or in people's life, who would just say that they were operating under the unction of the Holy Spirit or, you know, it was just something in operation. When you hear that word prophetic, though, sometimes people get a little scared because you know what? You, I've had good experiences and I've had some bad experiences with prophetic type ministry. I mean, I've been encouraged. I've had moments where God has, you know, really steeled something in me and, and pointed me in a direction and confirmed things to me that have encouraged me. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. But I've also had the weird times when someone tries to give you like a parking lot word. You know what that is? Out in the parking lot, they chase you down and you don't have a clue what they're talking about. And five minutes later, you don't even remember what they said. Yeah, everyone knows what I'm talking about. So there, there's certain times where I've had, you know, encounters that are great, encounters that are, you know, kind of like leave me scratching my head. And as I heard someone say, the gifts are perfect. It's the problem that the vessels are not. The gifts are perfect. Sometimes the personalities that it flows through are not so perfect. And, you know, so when you get weird moments, the Bible gives you um, very clear instruction on how to handle situations like this. I mean, I'm going to give you three New Testament verses. 1 Corinthians 14, 29. It said, let prophets speak and let two or three others judge the word, which means that, you know, uh, sometimes <laughs> people got to sit there and evaluate, is that actually a word from the Lord? 1 Thessalonians 5. 20 and 23, despise not prophesying. Instead, it says, test the spirits and see what's from the Lord. And 1 John 4, verse 1, he said, uh, test the spirits because not every spirit is from God. And so we have this precedent in Scripture. If, if you really want to quench the Holy Spirit, you either need to say it's totally not of God and I don't want to deal with it, or you need to turn off all discernment and not test anything. And if you're somewhere in the middle, it gives you an opportunity to start discerning what really is from the Lord. Now, maybe you're skeptical and you think, I don't know if God still speaks, you know, through people or people in situations today. And you could be skeptical, but, you know, the Lord might surprise you with a word in season that would really challenge you and convict you and, and move you forward. <coughs> so I want to highlight for you these four observations. Now, I'm going to just set up the scene here. I actually want to jump down to verse number four. Acts 21 and verse 4, <coughs> it says that finding disciples. Now, Paul's been on a journey. He's coming back from uh, his third missionary journey in Turkey. And it describes how he traveled around Cyprus. And they got up into Syria, which would have been you know, part of northern Israel. They're working their way down there. And when he landed, he found disciples. And it says that we stayed there for a week, for seven days. And then it says they told Paul... Through the Spirit, that's an interesting phrase. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. This is what we could say that they had a prophetic word. They, they, they felt impressed in their heart to just tell him, hey, I, I don't know that you should be on this journey. Now, the first observation I want to make about prophetic ministry is that it is relational. It's a relational thing. You know, I heard someone tell me one time when I was about 20, it's never left me that ministry flows through relationships. You know, that really, if you want to talk about business, business flows well through relationships. 
Uh, but ministry in particular flows through relationships. And I've often said as a philosophy of mine that people skills uh, are better than theological prowess. It's better that you know how to relate with people than you understand every in and out and aspect of who God is. You just got to find a way to love people. That's, that's the simplest thing. I find it extraordinary that they were there seven days and then they had this impression to warn Paul. Evidently, over the course of a week, there was a familiarity and a relationship that got developed where they were able to speak with one another and, 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 and talk. Sometimes this is the way the gift operates because when you get around people and you get to know them, that's when you can start identifying certain things. And I see this all throughout the scriptures. Think about Jesus traveling with his disciples. I mean, he knew that Peter had potential to be a great leader, but he also knew Peter was a knucklehead with a big mouth. And, you know, he would tell Peter, you know, hey, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. I mean, that's a word of prophecy. He said to him, Satan's seeking to sift you like sand. I mean, he got to know him. He, he could see strengths and weaknesses. <coughs> this happened with the apostle Paul. We read in verse 7 that he had traveling companions. So he would travel, and he got to know these men. One of the men was a man named Archippus, who Paul would write in Colossians chapter 4. And he said, Take heed to the ministry to which you have been called. Evidently, he knew the guy. The relationship was budding. It was developed. And he was kind of giving them this word of exhortation. Yeah. See, a relationship is a powerful thing. And I've really seen this principle uh, in my friend, Pastor Derek Kirkman. How many of you remember Pastor Derek when he was here? He was our worship pastor. He had this uncanny ability. He'd get to know someone. He'd get to talking to them. And before you know it, he'd get a relationship going. And, 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 and that was a place that he would often use to just kind of encourage and exhort. And it was, it was a relational prism. That's, that's how he operated. And sometimes the best way for this particular gift to operate is through these principles of relationship. I mean, it, it's really a powerful thing. And I've seen this take place, you know, in, in, in my life and other people's lives. One time I was in Bozeman, Montana, and a friend of mine was there. He was ministering. His name was Landon Scott. Now, I don't know if you know Landon. Landon has an amazing ministry down in Fort Worth. He took a church. Someone gave him a $4 million building with like 200,000 square feet. His ministry just exploded. I mean, it's really incredible what he's doing. And I knew people that he knew, and so we had good relation rapport, and he started ministry time, and I'm back at the book table. He ran all the way to the back of the room to deliver a word to me from the Lord, one that stuck with me, because I remember what he said. It, it penetrated my heart. You know, when we had uh, Ted with us last time, Ted Shuttlesworth, uh, it was really interesting, because we'd get to know him and hang out with him, and I noticed that people that, that he had made a connection with, he, he, he felt like impressed to give him words. And one of them was, you know, with Pastor Daniel. Is Pastor Daniel in here? He's in the back over there. Now, you got to know that Daniel is really good at keeping secrets. So if you got a secret, you can tell him. Hey, don't tell me. Tell Daniel. Hey, keep. <laughs> so D Daniel, you know, had it in his heart to start a business. And, and he ain't told nobody about that. And Ted's up laying hands on him and just begin to prophesy about starting a business. And when he did that, Daniel started bawling. Now, it ain't every day Daniel starts bawling. I'm, I'm like, wow, you know, and, and Daniel has started a business. He's doing some accounting stuff on the side with his wife and, and it just blew me away. But I think that the gift came in operation through relationship because sometimes people think, well, why didn't he prophesy over me? I don't know. I can't answer all that. I just know that when the, when people are in relational proximity, sometimes that gift starts flowing. In fact, 
My observation with spiritual gifts is many times it's a much more accurate word when a relationship has been developed, when you know somebody. It's like I've just seen personally that that tends to be more accurate than at other times. This is just observations I've made. So you got to understand, you need relationships in your life because you know what they do? They keep you in a place of safety because without relationships, you can get spooky. That is what happens in charismatic churches. Sometimes people get real spooky. So we, we have relationships that keep us safe. You know, I remember years ago, there was this time when, you know, people were uh, thinking that they would have devils and, and they wanted devils cast out. We went through a whole season in church. Where, and I remember one time, one guy was withering on the floor because he wanted attention. And they were trying to cast a devil at him. They said, what is your name? They tried to find out the name of the strong man. And he's withering and he said, my name is Aristocon. I mean, they're all looking at him. And then the pastor walked in. And he said, Pete, Pete, get up off the floor. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> See, you need relationships with people so you don't get spooky. You stay safe. <laughs> That's how this gift operates sometimes. It's just you, 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 like relationships help people stay in a safe spot. They help, you, they help you have good balance in your life. There's such a need for balance right now. And relationships provide that, right? That's just an observation I have. Observation number two. Is still in the same verse. When, when they got there, they stayed there for a week. And it says Paul told them through the Spirit. He's warning. Don't go up to Jerusalem. Now, this is so interesting. Because if you read down in the rest of the text, you'll find out that Paul was totally convinced and it was the will of God for him to go to Jerusalem. But they are saying, God's saying, don't go to Jerusalem. Here's what it tells me about prophetic ministry. That it can be misinterpreted. Sometimes you don't fully understand what's being said. In fact, the Bible says we see in part and we know in part. So these disciples are perceiving trouble. Paul did say in Acts 20 and verse 23, he said, everywhere I go in every city, this Holy Spirit testifies that trouble awaits me. In Acts 20 and verse 11, we read about Agabus saying, if you go there, you're going to get bound up. But we said that the apostle Paul was totally convinced. I'm going to Jerusalem. That's the will of God. So these guys, they're, they're seeing something. They just don't know how properly to interpret it and what it means. They're warning. <coughs> it reminds me of uh, a passage of scripture uh, from Numbers 22 about a man named Balaam. Now, Balaam was an Old Testament prophet for hire. And Balak had hired him to curse Israel. And if you know the story there, you know that, that he, Balaam had been visited by God, and God said, I'm not, I don't want you to go there because I'm not going to let you curse Israel. You can't curse whom God has blessed. But Balaam, he kind of kept, you know, pressing the issue because probably he wanted a paycheck. And, and so finally God said, all right, you want to go, you can go. But it ended up being Balaam's demise. You read later that he was killed. And what it was, he's misinterpreting the will of God, or he's, he's overextending the grace of God. He doesn't fully understand what he should do in that situation. Now, I think this is probably one of the most exciting aspects of walking with God in life, is that you can hear his voice, that he will lead you, that he will talk to you. I mean, who wouldn't want to hear the voice of the Lord and know what to do in a situation? I mean, I always ask God to speak. I say, Lord, what, what is your will in this situation? And it's a funny thing and a sad thing. I feel bad for people who feel God doesn't speak today. I've heard pastors teach that God is not speaking today. And I think that's really a funny question, because who was the one who called you into the ministry then? I mean, he was not speaking. How did you know you're supposed to go into the ministry? And, you know, it, it's, it's really incredible to me because the Bible tells us that we should seek. 
you know, for spiritual gifts, we should seek to know his voice. But hearing from the Holy Spirit and hearing his voice, it does require a certain level of discernment, a certain skill set. You know, you got to seek God for it. Proverbs 25, again, verse 2, says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of a king to search a matter out. Sometimes God will speak to you. You don't fully understand it. And so you seek it out. That's part of the adventure to discover what God are you saying? This is the same method Jesus used with his disciples because it says he spoke in parables. They weren't always familiar with what he's trying to say. They had to kind of figure it out. Scripture's like that. 2 Timothy 3, I read verse 16. I quoted it to you. The next verse says that you have to rightly divide the word of truth. You, you, you sometimes got to seek these things out. Now, I don't know why God does it that way. I, 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 sometimes, you know, things are, things are hidden from you. You got to seek it out. What happens with people is we have this tendency to put our own human understanding or perspective on something. And I'm just going to give you an example from my life. And you, I mean, forgive me, you know, I'm just going to tell you how it went with me in a certain situation. And, and probably this has happened to you if you're honest about it. But I remember one time I was sitting in my mom's house in the backyard and I'm reading through the one-year Bible and I'm reading the book of Isaiah Chapter 8, and it spoke about Isaiah the prophet and his, the prophetess's wife. They had two children, two boys. One of the sons was named Mahir Hal Shashbaz. That's the longest name in the Bible. How would you like to have that name, Mahir Hal Shashbaz? <laughs> so I'm in there, and I just felt impressed from the Lord that he was going to give me two sons. I, I felt that. So the prophetess and I had one son, and I was like, I'm halfway there, man. I was fired up about that. But you know what the next one was? Was a girl. And I started scratching my head. I thought, I must have missed God on it. Oh, well. But I had this desire in my heart. And I couldn't let it go. I got in a wrestling match with God. I had to pray and fast. Should I have another kid? And he wouldn't let it go. So we have three kids. And I was sure I was having a girl on number three. I was a boy. I was sure I was having a boy. I was sure. I, and, and when I had a girl, it was like, yeah. I mean, it was a shock to the system. Hey, you know, so I, I'm depressed a little trying to, and I, I've just, hey, I, I must have missed God until my sister, who has three boys, said, hey, listen, the best thing about having girls is son-in-laws. You know, she said son-in-laws are easier than daughter-in-laws. I know from experience, that's what she's telling me. <laughs> Never forgot that. And then it hit me, you know, maybe, maybe that's what God was telling me. If he tarries, uh, maybe I'll get some son-in-laws. And so, you know, that's part of the adventure of walking with God. Now, you could just chalk it off and say, you miss God. That's fine. Maybe I did miss him. But on the other hand, God does speak in interesting ways. And I guess it's like, you know, why does he do that? Probably because he sees further down the road than you do. Because you're oftentimes stuck over here in the weeds just trying to get through today. You're in a battle and you're trying to just figure out, like, you know, how am I going to fight my way through this? But God has a higher perspective. He sees further. He knows what's around the corner. I mean, he, he, he can see things you can't see. That's the thing about God. And sometimes when he gives a word to you, it will sustain you in drought. It'll sustain you in dry moments when you think, man, how am I going to get through this? Or it'll sustain you... You know, it, it, when, when, you, when you're, you know, in, in lonely spots and, and it gives you hope. And man, hope is a powerful thing. Amen. I mean, you just think, Lord, I, I, I could swear you said this to me. I mean, I really believe this and, and, and I'm just going to believe it and move forward. That's hope. By the way, 
that's probably why you need relationships in your life too, because they help encourage you. And they can tell you, no, brother, you did miss God on that. Just move on. Or they can say, I'm standing with you, brother. We're going to get your girls married off to two wonderful men of God. Come on, somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Observation number three. Jump down to verse number nine. This is so interesting to me. It says, this man, now the man we're talking about is Philip the Evangelist from verse eight. This man, Philip, it says that he had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Now, that probably is a reference to back up in verse number four about how they told Paul through the spirit. That's probably who told him. He's got four virgin daughters who prophesied. Here is the observation that I made about prophetic ministry. For prophetic ministry to really be effective and powerful, there needs to be purity. Prophetic ministry requires purity. Four virgin girls. Virginity in the Bible is a symbol of purity. And the Bible goes to extraordinary lengths to emphasize purity in obscure ways and in obvious ways. I mean, there's obscure verses about it, like Leviticus 19, verse 19. He said, if you're in a field, don't put a donkey and an ox together. It says that you shouldn't mix seeds in a field, and it says that you shouldn't wear garments that have cotton and linen. Don't mix, the, don't mix the fabrics. That's interesting. But what he's emphasizing is the purity of something. That's what the scriptures indicate. In the New Testament, it says things like a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And the idea is if there's impurity there, that's where problems can exist. So the Bible speaks about purity. Now, in the same way that ministry flows through relationships, prophetic ministry in particular flows through purity And I have found that even skeptical people or people who may be a little shut up, even people like that, if they can perceive purity in a person, if they can sense the person is sincere and his motives are right, it's like they're open and receptive to what God might be saying in a situation. Purity is a powerful thing. And for prophetic ministry to be effective, if it's going to be effective, it has to have purity. I use the word effective because you do understand that a gift can operate. Romans eleven twenty nine says the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That means he didn't take them back. And that's why you might see a man with tremendous gifting and he might build a huge ministry and he might have amazing gifts in his life, but maybe he fell into some sin or problem because his gifting took him where his character and purity could not. That, that's an answer for why it seems like things spiral out of control of churches. Because sometimes gifting will take you to places where your character simply cannot sustain it. And, and you've got to factor in the human aspect of this. You know, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, a righteous man who falters before the wicked is like an impure, it, it's like a polluted well or a murky spring. And, and sometimes that, that, that whatever that impurity in your life, it will come out in interesting ways. Now, <laughs> Elizabeth and I, you know, we, we try to live holy, you know, because they, they used to call ministers reverend. That, that's a play on words for revered one. And, and now it's like, you know, kind of people joke about the profession because there's been so many problems. But the Bible says you're not called in uncleanness, but you're called to holiness. And it says that you should seek peace with all people and pursue holiness without which no one can see the Lord. So Elizabeth and I, we, we do our best to live holy, pure before the Lord. And she does a good job holding me accountable. When I'm watching the news in Afghanistan's falling apart and I feel like swearing at people and bl- Elizabeth calms me down. She helps keep me in the right place of mind. <laughs> she she says, don't say that. She helps me walk godly. Amen. I appreciate that. So when I invite a guest minister, or 
if I'm going to go to a meeting of, of somebody, I want to know, does the man have a pure lifestyle? Is he on fire for God? Like, is it real? Is, what he's, is it real behind the scenes? What's his personal life like? I've seen a lot of guys with gifting, but I'm not too enamored with your gift. I want to know what it's like behind the scenes, the way you treat your wife. That's what I'm, that's what I'm interested in. That's purity. Because I've seen it, man. I've seen people pray for the sick, and I've seen them get healed. Remark, but I've seen those same people that could not handle money and were spiritually abusive. I've seen guys with tremendous success that love money. You know, I remember one time when I was 20, I, I was in Colorado at a conference. And in that time, this guy had the biggest church. Everybody was going there. And I don't know what happened. I was going up a stairwell and I had I trying to find a bathroom after the meeting. And at the moment I'm going up, this guy who, the pastor, he's coming down the stairwell. And I remember he's on the phone and I made eye contact with him. And in that moment, something inside my heart said, I, I don't know, I, I don't perceive something is right. It just felt weird. I felt, and I, and I, I, I thought, I, I must have missed something on that. I'm just going to forget about it. But we did find out about a year and a half later that he was having affairs with children at his church. He fired the man. It was all over the headlines in the news. I mean, it was a tremendous thing. And then it dawned on me, oh, that's right. Because I perceived an impurity in and it's like today, man, you, you got to kind of keep your head on a swivel when you're reading on the internet and who you're listening to. You got to be discerning about things. Now, on the other hand, I have had men of God who lived with purity and sound doctrine and, and had powerful gifting and were so encouraging. Man, I think about my friend, brother R.L. Brandt, who was one of the district presbyters here in town. And the man gave me his library before he died. And every time I look at his library, I'm reminded of an example of godliness I want to live like. I think about Pastors University. I was down there in Florida with Pastor Larry Stockstill, who's been a tremendous example of integrity. And I'm so blessed. I'm grateful for Mike Ware. By the way, Mike Ware was on the board of that man who was caught, you know, having affairs with 17-year-olds at his church. And Mike was the one that fired him because Mike, Mike was on his board. I mean, they were in different parts of town. They knew each other. But, man, I'm grateful for that. Uh, you know, but here's the thing. If you want purity in your life, if you want to have a gift that operates, you, it's like the song sang this morning about a vessel with new wine and pure wine. You're going to have to go through some crushing. And sometimes that, for that gift to operate with purity, that means there's some difficult things you walk through. So God can work out some of the problems in a man's life. That's why, sometimes, that's why James said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Because he's purifying you. Purity is a powerful thing. And you need it for the gift to operate effectively. Now, let's talk about observation number four. And I'm in verse 11. I'm going to read down the next three verses. It says that when Agabus, or verse 10, let's read verse 10. As we stayed there many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Here, here's Agabus. And it says, when he'd come down, uh, by the way, he was, a, I want to just note he was a prophet. So, you know, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. He was someone who really was in this office, we call him, of, of a prophet. That's what he did. I'm not in that office. I'm a pastor, which means I'm really good at just loving on people, listening to their problems, and teaching the scriptures. That's just the way it flows naturally. Now, I, I, if you want to be successful in something God has called you, be yourself. Just be who you are and don't apologize for it. I do what I do. Agabus was doing what he was doing. So Agabus, it says, came down, and it says, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, thus says the Holy Spirit. So 
we have a second example in the passage where someone's prophesying. He said, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind this man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of Gentiles. Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from the place, we pleaded with him, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? I mean, you could see the humanity of the militant apostle Paul here. Because Paul's got this attitude that I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And by the way, in the days we're living in, you better be like Paul, and you better be ready to be bound by the governing authorities for speaking truth, or you got to live like Daniel in Babylon. That's the moment we're in right now. You can't be afraid of persecution. Paul said, I'm ready to die. And when verse 14 says, when they would not be persuaded, we ceased. Okay, the will of the Lord be done. Now, here's my fourth observation about this. A true prophetic word, it will be confirming. This is my personal conviction because I've experienced it. If God really did say something to you, he is going to confirm that word. Acts 20, verse 23, again, I quote it. Paul said, everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit testifies with me in certain places that, that this guy is going to be suffering in trouble. Yeah. You know, he, I think this is the place where people miss it uh, in, in, in these types of things with spiritual gifts is because so often they're seeking to be led by prophecies of people rather than simply hearing from God on their own. The Bible says in Romans 8 that if you're led by the Spirit of God, you're a son of God. And what he's trying to convey to us is that he wants to communicate with you and he wants to lead you. He, he, he wants to be the voice that's speaking to you in your life. But I have seen people in the culture we're in because they're fairly unstable and they'll go from conference to conference or from meeting to meeting and they're trying to get a word from God to help define their life or figure out what to do because they haven't ever spent enough time in prayer on their own to hear from God for themselves. And that's what happens with people. He, God is saying, I want to communicate with you directly. And people get confused by this. In fact, at the last time we had Ted here, I, I remember a girl from high school, I knew her, and, she, and man, Ted was rolling, he's praying for people, the anointing was moving, the power of God. <laughs> and she said, hey, can you, can you give me a word? And he said, uh, no, I have to have the unction moving. It doesn't happen. Like, I can't just make it up. The Bible says that it operates as he wills. You, it doesn't happen. It just, the, the anointing has to hit you and it operate that way. Yeah. You know, anyone who Lester Summerall is? Now, Lester Summerall was a missionary to many parts of the world. I love Lester Summerall. And one thing he said that was fairly controversial, he said he, he was not a fan of personal prophecy. Because he said, it's so often people are trying to get that to hear from God rather than just going to hear God for themselves. And you can get reliant on that. So when I've had real prophetic ministry that's been powerful, let me give you some examples in my life of where it has been confirmational. It hasn't been out of the blue. In fact, sometimes if I hear something out of the blue, I'm a little hesitant because God does speak to me. I, I've never had a problem. He, he will talk to me. He, he might talk to me in my spirit. He might have my wife or my mom slap me upside the head, but he'll get the point across. I get, I get. But I remember one time <laughs> when I was 20, I was at church, and I remember that a man called me. He, he had a great ministry, and he, he just, out of the blue there, he, I, I, now I'd been driving him back and forth. I had a relationship with him. And he you know, spoke to me about the church I was going to pastor one day. And it was significant to me because it came on the heels of God really pushing that in my heart. 
And I listened to what he had to say. I've never forgotten it because it came in a moment when I needed to hear it. And then, you know, back in 2005, we'd started the church. And I was 25. By the way, that, that starting a church at 25 was very naive. <laughs> so we started a church, and I remember I was in a meeting, and a woman who was ministering just came up, laid hands on me, and, and she said, uh, God is going to confirm your ministry. She didn't know me. But it was, it was like, man, that, that added fuel to the fire. It made me, it confirmed what I felt in my heart, and it propelled me forward. It pushed me towards following the will of God for my life. And then another time when I was in Bozeman, I had a guy, and he called me out, and he prayed, and he talked to me about being a spiritual father. And that was so significant because it came on the heels of the Lord speaking that to me into my own life, my own self. And it was just incredible to see you know, how that lined up. And in all three cases, there was a confirmation of things that I had sought for things that I had worked for and, 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 and believe God for. And man, the point here is you're going to have to hear God for yourself. You, you, you need to get alone with God, have him talk to you. And if it's his will, he, he may choose to confirm what he said through a word from the Lord, through, through a prophetic uh, you know, ministry that somebody has for you. Now, you're thinking, man, I, I got to hear from God. Hey, I've got great news for you, good opportunity, because next week we're going to go with us. Don't eat. All right. If you really want to get alone and hear from God, come on, come on out with us. Don't eat. Fast, pray, get alone with God. You might be surprised what he says. He may not say it on a fast, but if you're really serious about seeking him, he will drop something in you if you want to hear his voice. What I find amazing is the critics and people who say, well, God's not speaking or that ain't right, are not people on their face seeking God. Have you ever seen that? The ones who are just critical stand outside the camp rather than actively being on their faces seeking God for themselves. If you really want to hear his voice, get alone with him. Spend some time. Make some time for it. Hear what he has to say because he wants to communicate with you. doesn't matter how old you are. He wants to breathe something into your life. The wind of God can blow. These are my observations about prophetic ministry. My observations about going camping is the higher up you go on the mountain, the cooler the breezes are. <laughs> and I wanted to have that breeze, you know, on those mountains again. It made me want to go back. And it's the same thing with hearing from God. I want to hear his voice more clearly. How many of y'all want to hear his voice? You want to hear his voice in your life? Because listen, he is not a respecter of persons. What that means is he don't have to always talk to the pastor. He can talk to you if you're a school teacher. He can talk to you if you're a mom. That's what, he can talk to you wherever you, if you're just a cashier at Walmart, he can talk to you. That's what the New Testament is. The Spirit of God is in us. And he wants the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and so how many of you just feel like, man, I want his breath to blow. I want to breathe more of who he is. I want to hear his voice more clearly. Do you want to hear his voice at all? Man, if that's you, just put a hand up. Just say, Lord, I want to hear you. And I want to just pray that over us. I want to pray that we be a people who hear from the Lord. Father, we want to hear you. We want to know your voice intimately. And I pray, Lord, Lord, I, I, I pray that you stir us up to get along with you. You stir us up to seek in and press you and discover who you are. Speak to us as you choose, Lord, quietly, still small voices, supernaturally, in dreams and visions, and maybe prophetically through somebody else. But God, I pray we hear your voice and know your ways. I pray you pull us out of the funk and a dry place and into a place Lord, where we're walking with you. I, I pray, Lord, for an accelerated ability to hear. I pray, Lord, you give us big ears and the spirit to hear from heaven, know what to do. God, I pray that in the name of Jesus. Mm. 
Amen and amen and amen. Mm. Now, sometimes, you know, when I'm praying, I feel like, I feel inspired in moments to pray for people. But I got to tell you, you know, for me, most of the time, if I've got a word to deliver, it might happen in the hallway. I've become pretty good at just grabbing people in the hallway. I can't explain that. I know guys that will get up here and they'll call people out and pray over them. But man, I mean, it just might be in the hallway. I might find somebody back there and grab them and it just hits me in moments like that. That's just me being me. It's how it operates through me. So I, I'm not really feeling any kind of, you know, impression to, you know, say anything over anybody. It just sometimes it happens like that. The key thing is hearing from God for yourself. There's a great verse in Psalm 95. It says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And it could be right now that the Spirit of God is knocking at the door of your heart. That's what Jesus, in Revelation, he's knocking at the door of a heart. And maybe you haven't let him in. Maybe, maybe you feel the Spirit of God right now and you think, man, I want you in my heart. I want, I want to know you. I want you more. That's the voice of the Lord knocking at your heart. And I just want to give you a moment. If you've drifted from the Lord, if you're not right with God, maybe you think today was crazy. I don't know what he was talking about, but I feel the presence of God. Maybe he's knocking at your heart. And I just want to, I just want to give you the opportunity. Every head bent, every eye closed. Well, well, he's knocking. If you need to get right with God, if you, if you want to give your life to the Lord, put a hand up. We want to pray with you. In, in my heart, I want to know that you're real, that you're a savior, that you died for me. I want to have a personal relationship with you. I want to hear your voice. How many of y'all just feel the presence of the Lord? I feel His presence. Will you stand up with us? Man, how good is God? Is God good? He's good. He's good. And we're going to go um, have some food outside, man. And uh, I hope you brought an appetite. And I hope you brought food for the school over there, perishable goods. That's what we asked for because we want to bless Canyon Creek School. You just drop it off over there and then we'll get in line to eat. But if you want prayer for anything, these altars are open. If, you, if something's pressing on your heart, you know, we'll, we'll pray with you. I just want you to know you're loved. I'm happy you came out today, and I want to challenge you next week to bring someone out to church. Man, we have a great time fellowshipping this, this afternoon. Father, we just thank you for the food that we're about to receive. Bless our day. Bless our time. And Lord, anyone that needs prayer, God, I pray that you strengthen them and give them the courage to come down for it. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Hey, we love you all very much. I want to invite my team down here for prayer. We will catch you all probably this afternoon, but next week as well, we hope.